Today's first reading shows the contrast between the faithful steward entrusted with the keys to everything and the steward stripped of them due to his infidelity. The first reading talks about Shebna, who was the steward in the court of King Hezekiah in Judah around 700 years before Christ. He was next to the king and the most important person in the kingdom, but he allowed power to go into his head. He used his position to exploit the poor and the innocent in order to make himself exorbitantly rich. He served himself rather than serving the king, rather than serving the servants of the king and the people of the nation. And God therefore said through Isaiah that Shabana needed to be replaced by Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, a man who would be called the father of the people, who would play the role of God among the people, a father who was going to be fortified so nothing could move him in playing his role as the steward of God's people. In other words, that marked the turning point in the history of Israel where the leaders were milking the people for their own betterment to the stage where God will appoint a better leader who will be concerned about the people, who will lead his role with dignity and integrity. Since the reading makes reference to the key of the house of David, some early fathers of the church saw in it a messianic prophecy foretelling the removal from power, the leaders of the chosen people of the Old Testament, and the transfer of that power to Christ, who in turn handed it to Peter as head of the church, the new chosen people of God. For the church, the divinely instituted society of human beings to carry out its mission of helping all men to reach its eternal kingdom, it is necessary to be sure of the road and the aids offered to its members on the way. The church should be certain that what it tells men to believe and to practice is what God wants them to believe and to practice. This is what Jesus provides when he said to Peter, I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the nether world shall never prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the key to lock and unlock. Peter is going to make it possible for those who want to enter the kingdom to enter. But what is the key? The key is the authentic sound teaching to be believed and the teachings to live out. In other words, 
faith and morals. In making Peter the head of the college of the apostles, the foundation stone of the church, the guarantor of its stability in the symbol of the keys and the promise that all his decisions will be rectified in heaven, Christ gave him the power of freedom from error when officially teaching the universal church. Peter therefore received the primacy of the, of the church and the gift of infallibility in his official teaching on matters of faith and morals. The privileges given to Peter and which were necessary for the successful mission of the church were given to his lawful successors, the popes. It is rather unfortunate that some Catholics have begun what we call the pick and choose syndrome where we want to choose what we want to believe and reject what we don't want to believe even though that is coming from the church and that is my problem today the truth will always remain the truth because that is guided by the Holy Spirit and falsehood will remain false even though everybody believes in it. You know, Christianity is not about opinion pools. The question of faith and morals is not about opinion pools. The media will say, oh, we did a pool and, 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 and about 60% of Catholics say they don't believe in the real presence of Christ. I do not care. Even if 99.989% do not believe it still remains the truth. I'm not the custodian and the one entrusted to criticize the truth and to evaluate when the truth is necessarily coming from the Holy Spirit. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth is loosed in heaven. The Holy Spirit guides his church because if the one that has the key cannot open, then no one can enter. If the Peter, Peter and his successors, the popes cannot open, no one can enter. And I hear people who argue that Peter was not a pope, he was just a leader. You know, when we try to understand the beginnings of the church in that history in the first century, in the mentality of today's well-established functional approach of the church, we're making a great mistake. Peter did not wear that matter and he didn't wear uh, those chasubles in those days. He was not called Pope, but after all, what is and who is Pope? Papa, Father. The Pope is a father. And Eliakim was told he will be the father to Israel. And Peter also given the key is being the father of God's people, the new people of God. The key has its functioning. The function of letting people into the kingdom through the correct teaching and correct living. Orthodox teaching and orthodox living of the faith is necessary to enter the kingdom. Peter opens the door of the kingdom 
for those who want to enter. But he will never force anybody to enter the kingdom. In giving these powers to Peter and to his lawful successors, Christ was planning for our needs in order to preserve and safeguard the right conduct of all its members. Christ provided a central seat of authority in his church. In the Catholic Church, it doesn't matter where you live. Whether you live in the United States or you live in some remotest part of Africa, the faith is the same. And that is why the church is Catholic and universal. That is why the church is one. That is why the church is apostolic. You go to certain denominations, everybody has his own point of view. But that will never happen in the Catholic Church. Because the church has its magisterium, the teaching office guided by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, in the history of the church, the church has struggled with heresies and schisms. And those who were privileged to watch the movie about the life of St. Augustine, you saw how in the early stages of the church's uh, uh, existence, they were fighting the Manichaeans, people who had all kinds of ideologies and pretending to have the truth. It has never been easy. The church's faith had been debated upon over the years to get the synchronized kind of faith that we have today. It went through the mail. But in those crisis times and moments, the Holy Spirit was still guiding the church. Through the gift of infallibility to the church, Jesus assures us that whatever we were commanded to believe, that is our faith, and what we do, that is our morals, would always be what he and his heavenly father wanted us to believe and to practice. Another important idea in today's gospel is the answer to the question Jesus asked his apostles, who do you say I am? Even today there are lots of opinions on who Jesus is or who he was. Today's readings remind us that the most important opinion is our own. Who do you say Christ is? How we answer this personal question will determine how each of us relate to him. He is, for example, someone worth our time on Sundays or even during weekdays. Is he someone who loves us? Someone who forgives us and wants only the best for us? Is he someone who has the authority to tell us how to live? what we should do and what we may not do. Is he someone who looks forward to spending eternity with? You know, yesterday I was protecting my sprinklers. People were packing on the, on the lawn and every year a game like that, on Monday I have to replace most of the sprinkler heads. So I came out and I was so busy over moving up and down, telling people you can park anywhere except on that lawn. 
And I saw how the place was, how crowded, and the confusion surrounding the whole compound. The number of people who were flocking to the stadium. But today, we come to Mass, and how many people are here? How many cars are here? Today, from 9.30 to 4 p.m., we had the parish retreat. How many people were in the hall? How many people were around? So the question is, who is Jesus to you? Do you cherish Jesus more than a football game? Do you cherish Jesus more than those social activities? I'm not saying they are not right, but you know the passion, the love, the desire, the willingness we put into those activities. If we want to put 50% into our dealings with God, I tell you, I can assure you, you will go to heaven. It was hard yesterday. But they were able to be in the stands in this chaos, confusion in the, in the stadium. They stood there for hours. And I tell you, this whole game, if we piece that together without the interruptions, this, this game will not be over one hour. But we, we, we go through four hours in the heat in the sun, in this humidity, and we're not crying foul. Let this air break down for five minutes. I tell you, Father Godfrey will be in trouble. I'm not kidding. I know my people. You see, when, 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 when people, you know, will skip mass because their son or daughter has a soccer game. Hmm? They will go there and they are cheering these kids and some of the kids are like third grade, second grade, they don't even know how to kick a ball. And they are yelling in the stands, in the hot sun, they are sweating, but they are happy. Why don't we channel that energy, that zeal into our dealings with the Lord? St. Paul says, you run for a wreath that withers. Even though we go through strenuous exercises just to win there, what about the everlasting wreath? You know, our attitude, our concern and convictions tell us who Jesus is for us. If you cherish Jesus more than any other thing, you will have time for the Lord. But by the way, if we do not want to, want to spend most of our time with the Lord, why on earth will we want to spend eternity with him? If we can't spend just one hour a week with the Lord, are we willing to spend eternity with that same person? The apostles could tell Jesus what others said about him. And we can also say what others have said about Jesus. That is okay. For that is how we begin to learn who Jesus is 
by what others tell us, but have we moved beyond that to know Jesus in a personal way? A way that Jesus could say has not been revealed to us by flesh and blood. Not revealed to us by other people, but by the Heavenly Father. That intuitive knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can know Jesus in a personal way through spending time with Jesus in prayer. When we take time to sit quietly to become aware of his presence, he will slowly show himself to us. If we try to listen to him, he will speak to us. We can also come to know Jesus better by reading and reflecting on the gospel to know what he said and did, to know how he was with the people, how he cured them, gave them comfort in their pain and suffering, and how he forgave their sins. Remember, Jesus is the same today for you and for me as he was for those people over 2,000 years ago. Very soon, beloved, our parish will begin our family faith formation program. The parish will begin the RCIA program, which will provide all of us the opportunity to journey together in faith, deepening our knowledge of Christ and appreciating our individual and collective call to discipleship. This together with our Sunday liturgy will deepen our personal knowledge and life in Christ. Let us all avail ourselves to these opportunities in the parish so that we can become true reflections of who Christ is in our families, at our workplaces, and especially, especially in our neighborhood. Let your neighbor see Christ in you. If you are a Catholic, let your neighbor see you as a Catholic, not an antagonistic person, not somebody who they will tell me, oh, Father, that woman of yours is no good. If they do not see Christ in you, probably they will never see Christ anywhere. May the Holy Spirit help all of us to embrace our Lord and to live closer to him. Amen. Amen.